This video is sponsored by New Masters Academy. Learn to draw, paint, or sculpt from the world's best artists. New Masters Academy offers a professional art school equivalent education from the comfort of your home. New Masters Academy is affordable, a fraction of the cost of traditional art school. New Masters Academy courses are taught by top professional artists and instructors with decades of experience in both the fine art and entertainment art fields. New Masters Academy offers courses suitable for beginners as well as professionals with resources including over 1,500 hours of structured art courses, interactive live classes and certificates, downloadable course attachments, member-only community perks, over 50,000 professional reference images, over 100 interactive 3D reference models. You can share your successes and struggles on New Masters Academy's public forums or interact live through New Masters Academy's Discord channel. Get portfolio reviews, personalized learning plans, career advice, and more with optional one-on-one -on -one coaching. Every course is included with your subscription and all courses are available for unlimited streaming. Go to www.nma.art and start your seven-day free trial. You can use the coupon code ARTPROF at checkout to save 20% off your subscription. Hello, everyone. Today we are going to be talking about drawing the artist curriculum or track. But first, if your studio habits need a kick in the butt, Art Prof has everything you need, critiques, tutorials, and professional development. So Clara, can you explain what this part of the drawing track is? The drawing curriculum. The drawing drawing curriculum is a whole Sorry. other thing. Sorry. <laughs> So if you go to artprof.org, go to Learn and Create, you can see this is a series of curriculums that we've developed for self-taught artists. So today we are doing part two of the drawing curriculum, and you can also watch part one, which covered drawing supplies. Today we're going to talk about drawing techniques and give you many options for how you can interpret these different techniques. So we're going to talk about line, gesture, tone, reductive techniques, layering, and smudging. And I think, Lauren, oftentimes each of these techniques, there's almost a stereotypical way that we expect a line drawing to look. Why, why is it so narrow-minded sometimes? I think that drawing is, it's, for a lot of people, it's our first introduction into art at all. You pick up a pencil and you draw. And so we have these ideas of what an archetypal drawing will will look like. It's ingrained very early on. And when you were putting together this stream here, I was actually really surprised by how broad it could get. It's You have to keep reminding yourself how many different ways there are to make a drawing. And drawing has so many different roles. I think a lot of people would be surprised to see that architect Frank Gehry does these very fast scribbly gesture drawings that eventually <laughs> transform into these monumental architectural pieces. And sometimes in this tutorial with Kat, the drawing is a means towards a digital character. And we do have a video that talks about the specifics of line. So Lauren, what would you say about the range? Because sometimes you have something like this, which is like really sparse, it's like barely there. And then this, which is like sumptuous and like rich lines. Like, how do you know which of these styles you should try? 
I think it depends on what you're trying to do. I mean, is your drawing going to be more of a thing that you use for planning or loosening up? Is it an exercise or is it supposed to be the finished product? What kind of information are you hoping to convey? Are you on a deadline? So my concept, the build skill building there are so many different needs that drawing can serve and you have to pick out which one it is you what your goal is right now i mean all of these techniques are challenging for different reasons but i do think line is that first interaction with drawing it's pretty straightforward now how you make that line is a whole other story Sometimes it depends on the material, like this Egon Sheila piece, which is more of a scratchy, charcoal-y look. But then you have stuff like this, which is an ink drawing by Kirchner. And so I think it does help to think about the energy of the line. Like, how would you describe the lines in this ink wash drawing I did for the stream on the Twilight Zone? They're a little bit hairy. Frenetic is not a type, not quite the word I would use, but it's, it's very sketchy. And you're using a lot of little action lines to, to build up a form, but the form isn't fully completed. It's not super detailed or anything. You're just getting an expression. But then you have Jacob Lawrence, who's a very well-known painter from the Harlem Renaissance. And these lines are really clean they're super defined, and they have a graphic quality to them. So I think it does help to look at a lot of different drawings and to just see what's available. I mean, some people might look at this Mo Willems illustration and not even think about line and drawing because it's all about the character and the action yeah. <laughs> and gesture, but <laughs> the line is a big part of that. And also it helps to think about, okay, is drawing a supplement to my practice in another material or is drawing it? Like, how would you describe Sarah Z's relationship to drawing here? I feel like these are information gathering drawings. Did the drawings come first before the, the sculptures? Is that it? Yeah. I'm not actually sure about that, but I think she's known for her sculptural installation. She's not known for her drawings. Right, yeah, I I recently was at a an artist lecture uh, for Matthew Rooney and he's a sculptor. He doesn't, he doesn't, I mean, he does drawings, but he was talking about how the drawings really are this place that he, he loves. It's part of his practice. He loves to, to kind of discover there, there are more places to to go with drawing than the the sculpture that you have because sculpture is is defined there by weight and things like that. But um, it, it's just a place for his imagination to really pull out a bunch of different things before going on to a more settled form. Miles D says, "I can paint really well and sketch with a paintbrush, but I suck at drawing." Any tips? You might try a brush that maybe is a little bit easier to control. For example, this is a good stream where Jordan and Alex drew vehicles. And a lot of people might think that the drawing Alex is doing here is a pen drawing, but it's not. <laughs> it's actually done with a liner brush. Like mm -hmm. you're a big fan of liner brushes, right, Lauren? 
I love liner brushes. And I was going to say the exact same thing as you, Clara. If you can pick a, a, an implement that where you can vary the weight of your line and have some of that, that painting-like feel, that ease to it, that's probably the best way to go. I think a lot of painters especially get tripped up on, say, a pencil or a little like micron uh, marker and they get thrown off by uh, having a single weight of a line rather than being able to vary it. Okay, let's talk about gesture. Gesture is, in my opinion, the fundamental part of drawing because it doesn't matter what you're drawing. Everything on the planet has gesture, including a box, including cats <laughs> in these gesture drawings. And I think oftentimes gesture drawings don't get the attention they deserve because they're so important, but people don't people don't get that impressed by them. And no. yet they're so critical. Why aren't people impressed with gestures the way they are with like a super detailed drawing? I mean, gesture drawings at most are five minutes. And they're not really meant to be something that you show. They're just for loosening up most of the time, figuring out your coordination between your eye and your hand. They're athletic. It's not, <laughs> most of them are really ugly. You're making so many, you're only getting one or two real ones out of a batch. I'd love to hear from people in the chat. How many of you here feel that you have experience with gesture drawings? Because oftentimes, Lauren, I find that gesture drawing isn't the first thing that people learn with drawing. I think sometimes people look at really developed drawings, like, I want to do that. And they go to that first, and then somebody like me comes along and kicks their butt and says, no, nope, <laughs> you got to do this first. So why you is did this that more important than all that detail? Well, the detail is the frosting on top of the, the gesture drawing is that structure. It's, that's the cake portion or the ingredients. And you can't, you can't have just the sugar, the sugary details. You have to do the, the whole thing. If your foundation isn't right, then the details aren't going to look right either on top. It'll feel really off no matter how detailed you, you make it. I think gesture drawings are challenging for people because it's hard to make something like this and feel accomplished. I mean, I think these are great gesture drawings yeah. by Alex. We went to a farm and we just sketched sheep <laughs> for a whole afternoon. It was really, really fun, but people aren't impressed by this. You don't get likes on Instagram for drawings like this. And that frustrates me as an educator <laughs> that people don't appreciate it. Yeah, it's so hard. I mean, you're not doing that's you're not doing gesture drawings for the likes or you shouldn't be. You should be it's like eating your vegetables. They're going to make your artworks after those pieces look really good because you've done the stretching to get yourself there. I would suggest if anybody here is having trouble with gesture drawing, don't start with figure drawing. Draw pigs. Why do you think, Lauren, sometimes drawing animals is a better entry point than figure drawing for gestures? I think we're so focused on people, faces, how to make a figure person look really accurate and good that it makes us freeze up. Definitely makes me freeze up. I still have that problem. Whereas animals, 
they're constantly moving. They, they make goofy faces or goofy positions. We don't really have a clear idea of what they actually look like. I, and so you're, you're, I feel more loose when I'm trying to say, draw my cats because I can just get lost in how weird they look and how long I can make an extended paw or like a, a curl of a fluffy tail. It's more lyrical. I want to say thank you to Maris for the super chat. Art Prof, commonplace book, your info. It helps a lot. We thank so you. Much appreciate your support. And Lauren, sometimes the gesture drawing is just because you run out of time. This is when I was in Taiwan and I just had a few minutes. I just sketched this really quick image of a lamp. And sometimes I like that gesture drawings just end and I can't fuss and pick at it. Do, do you find that that actually is helpful that it just stops? Yes, and I also, when you mentioned that, I also wanted to say that we th we're, we're talking about gesture drawings right now as 100% as just gesture drawing, but gesture drawing oftentimes makes up a lot of a good drawing or a painting, there will be gestural elements where some areas will be very detailed, where other, whereas others will be, you know, those those more gestural lines. And so these things are included in final drawings too. Milou Art says, I actually didn't do gesture drawings before I heard it here in Art Prop, but now I love doing them everywhere I can. And I feel like this helps me keeping a daily practice in art. I'll tell you, Lauren, sometimes I like doing gesture drawings more than finished drawings because I do pick and fuss. And with the gesture drawing, it's like such low commitment yeah. that you don't have to worry about, oh, my gosh, I didn't make a masterpiece in two minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's really good for keeping a sketchbook practice, guys. I have a really hard time working in my sketchbook consistently, but gesture drawing is a great way to build up that habit. Elena says, I love doing gesture drawing too. It really improved that self-doubt I used to have when drawing from life. Absolutely. I think sometimes it just takes away your expectations of trying to make an amazing drawing <laughs> really quickly every single time. All right, let's talk about tone. And Lauren, I always feel bad for tone because everybody starts with line. Line is always your first thought. And tone sort of gets a worse deal because it's always second. It never gets to be first. Why is that? Well, in this case, tone is treated as the color. It's coloring the image, even though it's still in black and white. And color is treated as this this additive, this superficial kind of thing. It's part of the details. But I would say as a painter, it's actually easier to build with tone or to, to build with blocks of tone rather than just going straight in with line. I find the problem with tone is that oftentimes people do the line first and then they color in mm -hmm. tone. Tone is not coloring in though. Tone is its own means of sculpting form. And so when I used to teach freshman drawing at RISD, we would do a unit online and then we would do just tone. Like we would start all of our drawings with 
big wide shafts of tone and a lot of people were so disoriented by that and then i would say listen all of you need to start putting the tone in sooner than you think you should a lot of people spend way too much time on the line and then the tone has no chance it's a bummer yeah yeah i think that people get overwhelmed with tone that's much more information than line line is just focusing on focusing on the edges of things and it's really easy to find an edge like say between my hair and this painting back there that's that's really easy to see but tone now suddenly you're dealing with gradients you're dealing with okay what is 30 percent light versus 50 percent light or dark you have to squint your eyes to figure out a hierarchy. It gets complicated really quickly. How, how do you deal with that, Clara? I think you have to be willing to make mud in your drawing. Like this Surratt drawing, and I love his drawings, it's pretty vague. There's not a lot in here that's very crisp or super defined. And you have to be okay with that ambiguity because I do think a lot of us when we do drawings we want to lock onto something we want to feel like oh this is very concrete but you have to be okay with that for a little while before you move incrementally towards that articulation now how about this lauren this is more like flat washes this is nalini malani who's an indian contemporary artist how is this different than, say, the Surat drawings that we were looking at with tone? The Surat ones are very scratchy. It looks like it's charcoal or something else. These have a flatness to them that feels almost like collage. It is still very edge-oriented, even though this is washes that are going on. And so it's got a little bit more of a uh, almost a graphic effect. You're able to see what is going on the different subjects versus uh, Surat, which is more of an impression. Slapnir says, I find line fascinating and quick. Tone takes time and is harder to finish. That is so true. The speed of tone is like a quarter of what line is like a quarter of what tone takes to accomplish. And Paula says, are these Surat drawings in charcoal? I believe they are. And there was a Surat show a couple of years ago that I missed. Uh, I'm so kidding myself because I love his drawings. <laughs> his drawings are so much better than his paintings. I don't like his paintings. Now, Lauren, I'm sure as a painter, you must find it fascinating to look at the painter's drawings versus their paintings. What do you see here with Anselm Kiefer's use of tone? I think that, first of all, I'm surprised with how gentle the tonal drawing is compared to the painting. The painting, you can really lay things on super thick and embed stuff in it, whereas the, the drawing is a lot... It's a lot more, it's not even bare bones, but it's it's more simple. It's more easy and clear to look at. And so it's, and it's also kind of the first layer of any of these, these paintings. So it's really interesting to see what it is as a schematic for a larger or a more layered piece. I just find in general, when I look at a painter's drawings, drawings just feel so much more transparent it feels like they reveal 
more about the process and I'm able to get inside their head more. Whereas with a painting, a lot of stuff just gets covered up. You just can't see it. And so there's a transparency to a lot of drawings that I find just doesn't really exist with paintings. And that's why drawings are such great learning experiences for people to get started with. Yeah, I agree. I think that there is a, uh, an ease too in looking at drawings a lot of the time because they are usually not very many passes. They can be as simple as just one pass. And that is also, that's helpful for a viewer. That's also helpful for yourself as an artist figuring out, okay, what moves do you want to use in other work? Comcuke says we had our fourth graders do figure drawing by breaking everything into ovals and circles. Some did amazing, but others were a mess. I think that's very revealing that everybody learns so differently. Like for me, I am so much more in tune with tone than I am with line. Jordan's the opposite. He loves line and he's so good at it. And I will never have that relationship with line. Are you more a tone or a line person, Lauren? Ah, I'm neither. I'm just straight up color, I think. So I guess that puts me under tone, maybe. Probably. <laughs> Line's hard. I think line, quote, feels easier at first. But then when you start really digging into it, you realize, oh my gosh, this is so much harder than I ever thought it would be. Yeah, it's hard to do well, I guess. It's easy to start off. It's hard to perfect, maybe. Okay, let's talk about reductive drawing techniques because oftentimes people think about drawing as, okay, you got a sheet of paper, you add, add, add. But actually I like reductive drawing more than additive drawing. So these are some charcoal drawings by Kathleen Speranza and you should watch our tutorial where she demos her charcoal and pencil drawing techniques. And how do you explain what's going on here, Lauren? Why is reductive drawing a, a great technique? If you are someone who is really focused on light and atmosphere in a work of art, then reductive drawing is for you because it is all about carving out lights to show a form. I personally use this all the time for painting. In my underpaintings, I'm pulling away lights to create a form. And I think that that gives a really glowing, magical effect. Like these flowers here, they, they have an aura around them almost. I almost think about this as a sculptural process that you have a big hunk of clay and you're taking away. But then of course with charcoal, you can always put it back. And so it's a back and forth, adding, taking away, adding, taking away. And for me, it just feels more concrete because I know I have this big slab of tone and I can work it really rigorously. Like these Auerbach pieces, they're so different than Kathy's bronzes, which are like soft and very atmospheric. Like how would you describe the way he's using the eraser here? It's very athletic. It, it does feel almost like a, a carving tool or you can feel the hand being digging away at those areas on the forehead. It's really effective. Thank you so much, Jill Kama for the super sticker. We greatly appreciate your support. And sometimes it's even more physically rigorous. Like these are a lot of drawings that I've done where I just take 
an exacto knife or utility knife and i just scrape away so this is not soft and atmospheric it's actually quite violent and i just find this so satisfying lord <laughs> Although at the same time, Clara, I didn't mean to say that all reductive drawing becomes soft and atmospheric, but it does, you are really still focusing on the light here. That light quality is very strong and very effective, which I think is because of that reductive method. For sure. And I think a lot of people really don't think about an eraser as a drawing tool. A lot of people in their minds, they've been taught for a long time, an eraser is for getting rid of mistakes. But what we're saying is that, you know what? The eraser can be just as effective of a tool as charcoal can be. And it's like, once you realize that, your head explodes. <laughs> yeah, I also wanna say too, that if you're having a really hard time with tone, starting out with a, a sheet of paper that's already 50% like toned right at a mid-tone is very helpful for getting that that range of of contrast between like super lights and super darks because you only have to go 50% of the way you're not having to go 100% of the way to something yeah like this is a great point from milu art reductive techniques save me a lot when i'm scared of an empty page i don't know what it is that that white sheet of paper is so intimidating. Mm -hmm. And so when you have something like Scratchboard, which just starts out black, it's less scary. Yeah, I agree. I always prime my surfaces with a color or with a mid-tone first. I want to give a shout out to RB Dick. Thank you so much for the super sticker. Thank it's you. It's amazing getting all these contributions, everybody. We need everything that we can possibly get. Yeah, I'm loving and Take a look at our Scratchboard tutorial because Song Kang takes a pretty sharp tool, which in this case is an etching needle, and yet her results are very soft and really subtle. So this is quite extraordinary what you can do. Okay, let's talk about layering. And I find, Lauren, most of the time layering is more obvious with a color drawing media. I mean, you can do it with black and white, but why do you think maybe color drawing media helps you understand this process better? Coloring, you can do this thing called optical mixing where you put down a one color and then you put another color on top. And then when you stand back, it creates a different color together. Your eyes just mix it. And so using that process, thinking in that way, gets you very into how layers work. And honestly, this crayon technique that Tony Janello taught me when I was at RISD, this is what taught me color. Because Lauren, I'm not a natural painter and I really had a hard time with color and painting. And this was the bridge that I really needed to get into painting because I do think for a lot of people, color is a challenge. And what's nice about drawing in color is that you don't have to deal with all the stuff with painting. You, know? you don't have to mix anything. You don't have to mix colors. And I think oftentimes people are trying to mix the exact right color on their palette and then they put it down and then they get frustrated because it looks really flat. Well, you don't have that issue with drawing. You put down one color, you put down another color, you put down another color. You can keep putting colors down until you get that, that mixed tone that you want. Also, 
I like that the colors are predetermined. I don't have mm -hmm. to take all that time to mix them. And then marker is amazing for layering. Like I never thought about marker as a material I would use beyond kindergarten, but like, isn't this a beautiful section of layering that like periwinkle over the peach? Like I know you're so yeah. yeah, I love it. Especially those alcohol markers or water-based markers, both of those create wonderful layering effects. And so there's another drawing material that is a great step into color tone and painting, but still acts as a drawing material and, a, and can make good drawings. Another thing is that I'm somebody who for the longest time was so scared of bright colors and I just wanted everything to be subtle and blandy Mirandy according to Slut Beer. <laughs> And these colored pencils, I couldn't run away from those bright colors. I had to put them down. There was no other option. And so sometimes these limitations that come with the materials is really helpful. Yeah, I definitely agree. I want to say thank you to Erica for the super sticker. Oh, you're all amazing. We so much appreciate this. We need this so much. I know it looks like we're doing great, but we need the support. So. Thank you. I don't think I've seen Deep D's sticker before. I think that was the first time. Okay, let's talk about crosshatching. This one is really hard for people, and I get why, because there's so many different versions, and it's slow. What about Edward Gorey? What does he do with cross-hatching for you, Lauren, that is really cool? Well, we had been talking about how people just cross-hatch one way or think that there's only one way of cross-hatching, but Edward Gorey's so good at building up small lines into cross-hatching into many different textures and somehow making it work. I feel like there's so much information in his drawings, but somehow he's able to put all these different types of filling in with line into an image that is complex and beautiful and uh, also kind of atmospheric. They feel very well, people dark. Don't, people don't think about cross-hatching as being atmospheric. And they think about it more like this, where the line is a lot more visible. And certainly this is a totally different style than Edward Gorey's pieces. But I think oftentimes cross-hatching almost transforms into tone, like you can layer it mm -hmm. so densely and so refined that it really can look like something more atmospheric. So tell us about Lois Wade. <laughs> I was gonna ask you to tell us about Lois Wade. Oh my God, oh. guys. We are so excited because there is a movie coming out about Lois Wade soon. And it's got Benedict Cumberbatch, which is Clara's favorite. And it's got Lois Wayne, who's my favorite because he is known for just drawing crazy pictures of cats, almost in an anachronistic kind of way. He makes really psychedelic looking cats and they are amazing. So please go check him out. His drawings, his illustrations are just so charming. I mean, he's so good at what he does using cross-hatching, using detail with small lines to create these, these wonderful, cute little cats and owls. I, I don't see any cats. <laughs> like, I guess there are cats in theory, but I'm going to be able to Oh. 
See, yeah, oh my we're, God. we're watching this movie for totally different reasons. You just, you're just there for Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm just there for the cats. Well, you know what? There are a couple scenes he doesn't have that yucky mustache. So I'm really excited. <laughs> oh, you guys, I watched this amazing masterpiece theater movie with him the other night. My husband went out. I was like, this is what I'm doing. Saturday night, me and Benedict. <laughs> All right. Now, sometimes cross-hatching can be really coarse and almost rudimentary. Like, this is a super quick gesture drawing that Kat Wong did on one of our streams. And honestly, this is where it begins. Like, a lot of people look at the cross-hatching and they're very overwhelmed. Like, oh, my God, how could I ever do this? It's got to start like this. Yeah. Yeah, it just starts with that one layer. And sometimes actually even leaving the cross-hatching very sparse with only one or two layers helps with other things like creating directionality with a drawing. All those vertical lines can give a sense of the whole image going vertical or like demonstrating another plane. It's pretty cool. And there's no end to cross-hatching because you can have it be very tight. It can be very loose. Things I tell people to think about is, is it a curved line? Is it a straight line? You can also think about the length of the line because oftentimes a line that's really short, it tends to have this almost like staccato feel to it. And then mm -hmm. sometimes when the lines are longer, they have more of a fluid quality to them. And so take a look at some of our tutorials on cross-hatching because I do explain really step-by-step -step how to do it. And I do like it in these comics, Lauren, like the, the cross-hatching here, it's not really that great, actually. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I love looking at comics specifically for cross-hatching and for drawing. There was, there's a book about, um, oh, who is it? I think it's Jack the Ripper. It's like a famous comic that has gorgeous, gorgeous drawings uh, with cross-hatching, very moody. And this is the art dare for this month. So if you've been trying to tackle cross-hatching, doing a master copy and really looking hard at those lines is just great exercise. Okay, let's talk about smudging. This is one of those techniques where I'm always very hesitant to teach it because I just find, especially with charcoal, people get really smudge happy. And yeah. smudging can really screw you up. Why, why is that? I feel like smudging is the airbrushing of the art world, airbrushing in the sense of how one airbrushes models so that all the all the defining features go away. They just have a poreless face. And so when I see beginning artists using smudging, they tend to use in the same way where their objects become featureless and smooth and uncanny. So you really have to be uh, careful about where you're using it and when. And in drawing, smooth is not always better. I don't know why, but when I was in high school, I was assumed if something was smooth and rendered, I was doing it, quote, right. Yeah. But actually, I find that texture is much harder to achieve. And so what I tell students whenever I taught charcoal drawing and everybody wanted to smudge, I would say, you know what? Don't smudge for the first half of the drawing. Just see what you can get done with direct marks. Because really, I think smudging it's a last minute thing most of the time. Other times, like in this piece, I actually smeared the whole background at one point because I wanted to create a sense of atmosphere. 
but oftentimes with smudging stuff just gets so mushy looking like you lose all the structure this is also something to think about in terms of how we see things too i think as you said a lot of people want to do the smudging because it has this realistic smooth quality to it this feel to it but when we're looking at an, an at an object all of that smudging is only really in the periphery of our vision. In the center of our vision, it gets super sharp and there's not a whole lot of smoothness or smudging. So you wanna think about how people see things too and how that can affect what you want the hierarchy of your drawing to be. Comcuke says, I love smudging, I love smooth blends, but you have to routinely smudge, then redefine, smudge, then redefine. That's a great suggestion that the smudge isn't the final pass that the smudge is one layer, you put another layer on top, and then you actually keep going. But I agree, Lauren, that smudging almost has this artificial look to it sometimes because of the smoothness that really can get in the way. Now, here is smudging in some of my lithographic rubbing ink drawings where the smudging is like really obvious. How is this different than, say, the earlier images where it was more just about atmosphere? So in the previous images, smudging was used in a way that almost makes you not think or look at the smudging. Here, the smudging is, uh, it is an action. It is showing direction. It is showing movement. It's not just floating, uh, invisible atmosphere. It is, it is a part of the figure. And that's something I would think about in all your drawing techniques is do I want to show very visibly how the drawing was made? Like if you look at this drawing, you can tell, okay, I pushed my hands up and down. Whereas if we look at some of these other ones, it's maybe not as obvious what's happening. And that's where doing a master copy can be really helpful because you can break down, okay, did Degas do this or did he do this? Or was it a staccato thing? And that's where drawings are so good to analyze. Now, sometimes, Lauren, smudging is done with the tool itself. Like this is a lobster drawing that I did with oil pastels. And here I didn't do the smudging with the fingers. I did it with the actual oil pastel. So how is that different? That is almost like a mixing directly on canvas or on paper effect. I've done a little bit of that with uh, pigment sticks on top of my acrylic paintings where it makes a, a mush together. So you're, you're both making a line, but you're also layering color, but you're also creating that gradient all at once. It's a big mess, yeah. <laughs> especially with oil pastels, but it's almost like you're pushing the oil pastel across the surface and that can be really, really fun. Yeah. This Google Slideshow is available. The link is in the YouTube video description below, and you can also access all of our slideshows. If you go to artprof.org, we do have a page that has everything. Sometimes it's faster than having to rewatch the entire video. Artprof has a podcast. It's available on Spotify and also on iTunes. And in a few minutes, Lauren and I will be hanging out in the Artprof Discord so we can talk about better to cover batch of cats. <laughs> Can't wait. Oh my God, help me. <laughs> we can post pictures from it. <laughs> like it's all educational. It's about an artist. It is. <laughs> Subscribe to our channel, like this video, leave us a comment. 
And thank you so much to our top Patreon supporters. You are the ones that are making it possible for people who will never be able to afford an art class to get their free art education. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.